You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi folks, welcome to episode 113 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts, and this is the show for February 2023. I, this is part two of what is probably a two-part show on AI, or depending on how you count, maybe a three-part show. In the first part, I laid out the technology of, the AI, of AI, basically the what is it, and sort of a tour through history starting with classifiers, moving on to image editors, and then ending up where we are now with generative AI. And at the end of that show, I said there will be a part two where we talk about the what it means for photographers as opposed to what it is. And I said I didn't really know how I would structure the next show, just that there would be a next show. And basically... I put it out to the community what people thought and uh, a good friend of the show and just good friend, Antonio Rosario, reached out to me over Twitter and was like, why don't I talk to you? And I said, why, yes, indeedy. So um, please say a big welcome to Antonio. Hey, Antonio. Hey, Bart. Thank you for uh, having me today. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for volunteering. It's it's so much easier when podcasts organize themselves. I, I find that <laughs> That's key. I, I understand that. And I remember listening to your show and uh, it's usually I, I, I listened to it on a Sunday morning or something like that. And I was like, oh, and I finished it. I was like, I was immediately texting you. Uh, yeah. Like I, I volunteer to be on your panel. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> well, this is perfect because uh, as I was saying to you over Twitter, I think we we come at this from different. We approach the same point from different sides. So I'm like a sciencey person trying to be artistic and you're an arty person who's trying to get good with the technology. And so we sort of meet in the middle and have fun conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by happenstance of the universe, you ended up needing a co-host so we're actually going to turn this into a sort of kind of two-parter. Um, two-parter, yeah, a, a, a blending, as it were, your show and uh, my show. Yeah, so we're going to talk on this show about the the pros and the cons of each of the three generations of AI. And that's going to raise a whole bunch of other questions about the, well, there's the artistic side of it, there's the ethics side of it um there's a lot of uh, morality might even come into it like there's, there's a lot of things oh, to yeah. think about oh, yeah yeah there's, and so there's, it, and, and it's accelerating too i noticed so anyway it really is yeah i mean that's why it's topical right why why was it on both of our minds as we were thinking of recording podcasts it's because it's happening now mm. yes and it, every day i'm you know I'm reaching up and i'm looking at uh, you know news feeds and i'm seeing ai and you know, Ward and I did an episode about AI at the end of last year. I mean, we had to talk about it because it was such a prevalent thing. Yeah. And I didn't think we'd be talking about it again so soon, but we have to. Yeah, that would have been around the time of Dali and stuff, wouldn't it have been when you guys talked about it? Uh, well, we talked about it about December, I think. So uh, it's not that long ago we, we actually yeah. mentioned it. We kind of closed out the year, you know, um, saying, let's talk about the elephant in the room, which was which was AI. Um and I said, well, you know, yeah. we'll probably we'll probably come back to this at the end of next year. <laughs> yeah. Technology, how, how wrong was I? <laughs> yeah, technology does nothing for a long time and then it just runs away with itself, you know. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. It, but I think it's an important thing to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, listening to your show about, you know, the the hows essentially about AI, which I found very interesting, a little bit over my head, but um, the gist of it and, you know, wanting to talk about the whys as well. Um, yeah. and realizing how this is going to affect a lot of people um, yeah. and be an important topic to talk about. So, Yeah, so let's just remind ourselves, I guess, of the three generations of, of, of AI that, that, that I want to talk about for this first part of the show. So the first time that AI wandered into the life of your average photographer was when all of a sudden iPhoto and all those kind of apps were suddenly able to tell you that that was your granny. Or mm. your cat, calling it your granny. But, you know, they, <laughs> with more or less success, they began to be able to identify things in your photos. So the point now, where when you take a photo with your iPhone, it can not just tell you this is a flower, but it can tell you this is a daffodil. And it will just do that automatically. Um, and so th- that 
ability to recognize things in our photographs is called well the class sorry the, the formal computer science name is these are classifiers they look at a thing and they go you are one of those or one of those so they put everything into little pigeonholes and go cat dog pigeon whatever right they classify things <laughs> And so that was the first time that AI arrived in photography. And notice it didn't alter our images, right? It was just telling right. us what was in our photos already. And it wasn't messing with our photos. And then the it second... It wasn't a threat either. <laughs> it certainly wasn't, right? It was kind of hilarious. No. Because people no. would, you know, they tell iPhoto or whatever that you, know, you have to draw a square around the face and you draw a square around your dog and it'll tell you it looks like your, your aunt's whatever. You know, it was hilarious. It was great fun. Mm-hmm. Um, what did do very interesting things like cousins would end up being classified as their parents who are your uncle and aunt and stuff. And you're like, okay, right. like you start seeing, something going on there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, I, I, I use an example of that if I could just interject quickly mm. uh, in one of my classes about iPhone photography. And I show, you know, you know, make sure you, you know, are able to search your photos and, and I, uh, using, you know, a keyword and stuff like that. And I, I show them fire hydrants, um, cameras and planes. And what's really funny with the planes, it actually pull. I have a, uh, I have an X-wing fighter on my shelf up here, and you know it pulls in an X-wing fighter and it thinks it's it's a plane, but it also picked out a helicopter too. Um, but it's it's really interesting how it's. Well, I don't know how it's thinking, but it, you know, I, I'm kind of glad it pulled out the X-wing fighter as a plane. So that's kind of cool, actually. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah. I like that a lot. Um, and so the second generation then is where machine learning is allowed to tinker with the bits, to start messing with the pixels. And that sort of comes in, in two ways. So you have, you know, magic auto edit buttons, little magic wand buttons. And they basically using machine learning, they have figured out probably the nicest edits to do to your photos. And then companies like Apple in particular have then led the way where you have the machine learning baked in literally between the lens and the image you get captured because the the actual cameras on phones are terrible like right. they're yeah. tiny little things and they're noisy as all heck and we get these beautiful pictures out because they have been run through more circuitry and more machine learning than you can shake a stick at before the raw image and i'm using massive air quotes here arrives in your phone and that's before you do any machine learning based editing. So the machine learning is now really helping. Well, it thinks it's helping. It's trying to help. It's it's mm, that's debatable. <laughs> exactly right. So but it's its intention is to auto edit our photos to the point where what we end up with is better than what it would be without the help of the machine learning. And that's the second generation. So it's becoming a little bit more invasive now and it's changing our pixels. But there still are pixels being changed. The revolution mm. that has kicked off within the last 12 months, because at the start of last year, I certainly wasn't talking about AI much. It was like, you know, maybe S lady was being annoying at me, but that was kind of as far as AI went, right? I wasn't thinking about it with my photographer hat on very much. But now the big thing is generative AI. And the key word here is generative because you start with a blank slate and the AI makes a photo. Out of nothing, well, it's not out of nothing, of course, it's out of its massive training set, which has all sorts of implications we need to talk about later. Right, right, yep. Mm -hmm. But it's not editing our photo, it's making a photo for us. So we give it can some I, sort can, of a prompt. Can I, can, I, can I have you drop out the word photo? Because technically it's not <laughs> a photograph. <laughs> I could argue, I could give you in a very, I could put on my debating society hat and I could have some fun because it has learned from lots of photos. So there were rays of light hitting pixels and they are the mm. basis of what comes out. It's just not a well, photo. It's a million or a billion. Right. But technically the image that it's spitting out has not been excited. A sensor has not been excited by light or um, it's been copied. So I, I'm more in the in the realm of calling it an image. I'm happy to call it an yeah, image. Yeah, we can definitely but do to that. Call it a right. photograph would to distinguish it from what is a photograph, what has been uh, excited by light. Uh, AI images have not been excited by light. They've been excited by images that have been excited by light. They're second order photographs. They're like a derivative. You still want to? <laughs> okay. well, no, right, but ultimately, what, what did they learn from? Right, they learned from photographs. 
And so they're, they've been trained to make things that look like photographs based on photographs. So they're in there somewhere, right? It's somewhere in the weirdo, I, I hesitate to call it a brain, but then again, it is made of neurons that are connected together. So it's a million miles away. But deep down anyway, it has somehow extracted the essence of photography and makes from whole cloth images on command. Yes. That, and that is very new. <laughs> that is that is very new and that is very different to anything that has come before. And that yeah. is that is the reason I've been thinking about this and about how we got to here. And so let's work up to that. So if we go right back to the classifiers, right? It's obvious to give you the pros on that, right? It, mm-hmm. It's so much easier for me to find an old photograph I took of a train five years ago when I can go and like just type into a search box train. And it, the machine learning has classified all of my images and it will just pull them out. And gosh darn it, it's pretty accurate. It is. And I really, really wish that uh, Lightroom would get that uh, installed on the Lightroom Classic because I'm one of these people who are, I'm just not good at. You're just not doing the cloudy key, thing, are you? Keywording, right? You know, like, you know, I'm supposed to sit there, you know, I import my pictures and I'm supposed to sit there and keyword everything. And my. I don't do that. I mean, I just, you know, I'm absorbing so many pictures and I don't really have time to keyword. Uh, but, you know, when I look at my iPhone's photo roll, you know, it does a very good job because it's got the machine, um, it's got the classifiers built into it. And so, yeah. like I said, I can do a search for planes or hydrants, but the, my entire photo collection is on Lightroom. And if I'm sure it's going to get installed soon. I mean, I'm not, mm. I'm not doubting that this is going to happen. But the sooner the better, because I, my Lightroom library is about 980,000 images. images. Yeah. And because the vast majority, uh, people don't uh, do as I say, don't do as I do. <laughs> Keyword your pictures. <laughs> but if you yeah. don't, you know, a classifier is going to come in handy. I've got so many backlog pictures that I just can't spend time looking for. And man, you know, if the, the Lightroom does have the facial recognition. So uh, if I do run the facial recognition on my my uh my library, I can start to look for faces, but that's yeah. it. Um, I don't yeah. have anything else to look for. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff I'd like to find and, and not have to import it into my, uh, onto my iPhone to do so. I used to be, I used to be very, very, very meticulous with keywording. And I just, I just don't have time. I'd rather be creative. It, it's, yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't do as I used to do. <laughs> not as I do <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> It, it is really practically hard. I mean, for instance, you know, because I do a lot of street photography, so I'm shooting a lot of different subjects. It's not like I'm, you know, a wedding photographer. It might be easier to, you know, plug in, you know, Sue and Frank's wedding into the keywords and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I'm shooting, you know, a piece of garbage in the street and a car and a hydrant. And, and to bring those into Lightroom and actually sit there and keyword those myself would just – I'm not getting paid to do this. And I don't really have – like I said, we don't have time. This is where classifiers could really, really help, you know, and, and they do help on my phone. I've got about 35,000 pictures on my phone, too, and yeah. it's got the facial recognition. It does a pretty good job of, you know, like the first, you know, few dozen pictures look like fire hydrants. Then it starts finding things that are like, oh, I don't know, it doesn't quite look like a fire hydrant to me. Um, and, you know, that's where the artificial intelligence is, is I feel like I'm the master and it's doing the, You're bidding. the the I don't want to say the slave stuff. I don't know, but it's doing the work of the person who I would be hiring to do that. And well, that's doing it the for free. promise of computers at their best, right? They free right. us from drudgery, right? Dumb repetitive tasks. Computers are great at that. Let them at it. Save me from the work. That's 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 the utopian view of computing. Oh, <laughs> right. well, I now, can see where this is going. <laughs> oh yeah, it's not always utopia, right? Mary anyway, Shelley would be really interested in this conversation. I think she probably would. <laughs> now, I, there's a related other advantage that immediately leaps to mind because you say you know we're all supposed to keyword, but yeah, right, you know. <laughs> The other thing we're all supposed to do is write alt tags everywhere so that the visually impaired can consume images of all kinds and not be left out. We're not as good at that as we should be either. And again, they can make massive use of AI to like there are tools which will not just say this contains a dog, but they'll actually give you a description that says an image showing a dog sitting under a tree next to a fire hydrant. Maybe mm-hmm. this is a dog peeing in a fire hydrant. I don't know what it says, right? But <laughs> it actually does really quite impressive descriptions, not just key, not just putting out keywords, but actual descriptions of the scene. 
And again, that's that's a great leap forward for because now oh, yeah. it, you are liberated from having to convince every person sharing images to do the work. Instead, you are liberated to have the tool work for you and you get what you want as you browse the web and get on with your life. So it's very empowering. So that's exactly. definitely and pro, right? Yep, absolutely. I have it, it, you know, I'm using it as much as I can. Like I said, on my iPhone or in other circumstances, I love it. I mean, I love having that uh, extra set of hands or eyes do things for me and make me feel like I'm sort of a, you know, bigger entity than I actually am. You know? <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> he's so organized. He does this. He does that. You know, well, I've got my minions helping. And, uh, yeah, but I'm a little worried about them because they're starting to, you know, <laughs> well, well, let's, starting to get a little too smart. <laughs> let, let's let's step through the mirror and let's look at the other side. So what, what are the downsides? And the first thing that occurs to me is we've kind of hinted at it already. What's our motivation for us to continue to do the work of actually properly putting metadata on our images, adding descriptions and stuff? Well, we're getting ever more disincentivized from doing it. Which means that mm. the imperfect job the AI does is becoming the only job that is being done. Because right. And and because perhaps we're, you know, maybe someone like me who does so many images and not supervising it. So it could be making a lot of mistakes. It's not We perfect. don't know. Yeah, we don't know how wrong it is about our libraries. Which brings me right. to my, my even bigger concern. So AI, these kind of classifiers work basically by the law of averages. This looks like other dogs, therefore this is a picture of a dog. Well, if you get creative and you shoot things at strange angles and interesting light, by definition, to make a great photo, you're making an image that is not like everyone else's image. Therefore, it is the, the best photograph you have of a thing is the most likely to be misclassified. So over time, your most creative work could end up being filtered out. Right. Hmm. I didn't even think about that. There's huh. your dark mirror episode for, yeah. I've been thinking about this for the last month since we were, since I recorded the first show. And that, that kind of worries me a bit that the classifiers could be made. I don't tag stuff. If the classifiers get it wrong, it just vanishes between the cracks and I never think of it again. Well, it also means that you should still be mindful of your own work. I mean, it's not, you know, I like to look at my pictures when I download them. Uh, you know, uh, X mark the ones that I think I would like to process some more or share. And and so I'm always spending some time with the pictures, uh, looking mm. at them and, uh, you know, being mindful of my own work. You know, that's I mean, what saves me like, a I, bit is that I think geographically I, I have a real I, I associate things with place. And so I often search my library in the map view. And that saves oh, me from the classifier misclassifying things because I just have a, my, my brain works like that. I just see everything. Uh, I live my life on a virtual map. I feel like I'm in a computer game because I can always tell where I am. <laughs> you know, that little map in the top corner, I can always tell where I am. And one of those people, oh, where if you say point north, I can actually do it. It's that away. Yeah, I, I you know, I, 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 I am sometimes like that, too. I mean, when I see my images on a map, I like to I, I wish that all my pictures could be geotagged automatically through my camera without having to do any kind of crazy yeah. stuff. I wish they would get that built into all cameras already. I, I'm really tired of connecting it to my phone, but I do a lot of searches by location and, uh, and maybe not to the extent that you are doing, but I do remember, Oh, right. I mean, cause I don't travel that much. So my places are just few. And so I know, Oh, I shot this in Brooklyn or New Jersey or, or something like that. And, and I can find, then I can find the, the pictures fast, but uh yeah, it's 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 one of the things that I wish uh, that we could get happen faster with some of the like hardware that we're working with uh, or even some of the software so that I can I, I can take advantage of this stuff now um, rather than having to wait, you know however many years it's going to take for me to like, you know, classify all my, you know, at that point, my my uh, library is going to be over a million pictures. It's going to take right. a lot longer. So. So I'm really kind of waiting for this stuff to happen now. Uh, I do want to add, though, um, you know, you were talking about the classifiers, you know, now that that stuff is also being built into cameras. Hmm. Oh, it helps you compose the shot and stuff, right? Because it's basically telling you these are the faces. I'm not going to actually take the photograph till everyone's looking at the camera. Everyone is smiling. Well, there's that, which I think has been around for a while. Uh, But that's classifiers, right? Point and shoot cameras that wouldn't take uh, shots. I remember if uh, they were 
I don't remember what brand it was, very popular in Japan where they would wait until the everybody was smiling or not blinking. Yeah. Uh, and, th- and then be able to take the picture, which could be really annoying because I'm like, you're trying to press the button. Come on, come on, come on. Yeah, I'm in control here. No, you're not. <laughs> yeah. But for instance, I've got, uh, and I know this is for a lot of the modern uh, mirrorless cameras, but, you know, having those classifiers built in so that they can recognize a bird or a cat or a car so that they can autofocus on those um, oh, yes, 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 on yes, those yes. things. You know, and so right now, uh, to, as a quick side story, I'm doing a lot of bird photography because I like photographing birds. I'm not a birder, but it's just a very satisfying thing to do. And I have one of the new Fujifilm uh, X-H2 cameras. I have both of them, the X-H2 and the X-H2S, and they've got the new uh, classifiers built into them. And it makes my bird photography a lot easier because it's helping me autofocus on the birds. And so I don't have to spend as much time, even though the cameras can autofocus on their own. And people have been doing this for years anyway, before, you know, classifiers built in the cameras. But I'm not an expert. Right. Uh, so it's doing and I'm not a, I'm not an autofocus expert either, but it's right. it's giving me those those advantages so that I don't really have to like the heavy work, let's call it. Yeah. Um, it's giving me those abilities to focus on or it's going to do the focusing. And I'm just worried about, okay, well, I'm going to capture that bird. And I want to compose it in this way. I want to do that exposure in this color. And it's taking some of those heavy things away. Anyway, I wanted to make sure I mentioned those. No, that's I, think a, that's I hadn't even thought yeah. of that, but it's in the hardware too. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. this. Yeah. So if we move on then to when it starts editing our photographs, right? And I mean, we've already said it. The, the single biggest pro is that we get amazing photographs out of really, really teeny tiny lenses and icky little sensors that we can stick in our pocket and the first it is impossible to take a photograph when you don't have a camera we now have a camera all the time so when something cool happens you whip out your phone and you take a shot and thanks to the magic of machine learning it doesn't suck it's like i was cycling (laughs) three evenings ago and i noticed that there was a conjunction of the moon jupiter and venus they were just in the sky making a perfect little triangle and there was a gap in the clouds just as I was passing a radio transmitter. And so I was able to get a shot. I know. I just literally skid. You screech to a halt, lean with my two elbows on a gate so the phone was as still as possible, put it in night mode, which is, again, machine learning up the Yazoo. And mm-hmm. I was able to get a photograph of the the radio transmitter with its blinking lights, which were then captured as not blinking because obviously each of them blunk once while right. the exposure was going on, and the planet and the moon and the other planet and the clouds around it, and it was a perfect shot. I didn't, I, five years ago, that would have involved a tripod, a big DSLR, a whole bunch of planning. I was and on my bike. And a production as well, sitting right. at the computer doing stuff, yeah. Yeah, I was on my bike. I just looked over and went, oh, that's cool. Snap. Like, that is the power of this machine learning stuff. That is, that is a pretty big pro. It it. It is. I'm experiencing that as well. Again, like I, I teach classes and I talk about the um, uh, I do. A, actually, I had a mobile photography class last night and was talking about the machine learning and showing the students all the, you know, that uh, slide from Apple, the photonic engine, whatever mm. photonic means. <laughs> Nothing is what it means. Words. I know they come up, they've got a, a, a room someplace where people just come up with these strange words. But it's showing that that multiple um, amount of steps that go into uh once you snap the picture and then it shows on the screen it's like 15 different steps and i'm sure that includes you know um hdr and and uh, the machine learning and whatever other secret sauce is involved in that a lot and, of those layers have machine learning in it because it's yeah. stuff like edge detection which is machine which is using neural networks to find the edges and then it's enhancing oh. the edges and it's doing a many 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 things it's really impressive I, it is impressive. I, I agree with you that it can create like the picture that you're just describing to catch was amazing. And I often see something in my eye, when, you know, if we're talking iPhones, I'm taking a picture and I can see that happen. I can see like I take the I'm looking at the screen. I take the picture. And then when I go to look at it, it it's all of a sudden like it's processing and it's done. And I was like, wait, that's not the image that I was looking at initially in the screen. It's changed. I, yeah. and, and for me, the, the real stick is uh, highlights I and mean, sort of get technical here, but, but, but it like, sometimes I like muted highlights and all of a sudden when I take the picture, it comes through and then I'm all of a sudden looking at these like 
almost bright white highlights. I'm like, that is not. And I'm like, oh, now I got to go in and figure out a way to to dull those things down because it's doing something that I didn't see or I wanted. And, and, you know, uh, you talk about the, um, I'll talk about all these steps. This is someone's idea. I think you talked about this before when you're comparing raw and JPEG files from an iPhone that the, um, even the raw files that come out of an iPhone are someone's idea of what a raw file should look like in this case. Right, because you have three lenses. You have have three lenses. There's an algorithm going into it, and and that algorithm actually nowadays contains machine learning. So your phone has been trained for what's probably the right thing to do on an image like this. Probably, yes. Probably. So, right, for those of us who are like, I mean, I'm good most of the time, but then there are times when I'm like, can you just give me the, mm, the way I want it? And not give me the whole thing. And maybe, gosh, if they let me like turn on and off some of those layers so I could say, well, I don't want this. I want this. I don't want that. That would be kind of nice. But but yeah, now at the hands of, you know, it's out of my hands. I take a it picture. Is. It is. And that's a definite so downside. Yeah, which is so much different than, you know, doing regular photography where you do all the, the, the all that thinking and processing is after the fact for the most part. You know, you, yeah. you, know you, you take a picture with a camera and you're getting pretty much, unless you do picture profiles, but let's say, you, you know, say you're doing a JPEG, you're getting some baked in stuff. If you're doing raw, you're getting just the raw ingredients so that you can go home and make your own soup. It's a very good description. And I think what you're sort of hinting at here is that what you're ending up with, whether you like it or not, is there is a flavor of someone else's opinion creeping into everyone's photographs. And so you can kind of tell this is an iPhone-y shot and this is the Samsung-y shot because the Samsung cameras, gosh darn it, they love colors. When they're, even when the colors aren't there, they'll make them be there. Like cartoony, shouty colors. And the Google ones seem to be fixated on being, you know, mathematically correct. And they tend to be, you know, very exactly the right shade of gray. And they tend to be very mathematically precise, but not as artistically pleasing. So you cannot, there is a distinct style in the photograph that comes out of a Samsung, a Google and an Apple phone. And that's creativity taken away from us. That is absolutely true. Because, and then I start thinking about people who are reviewing these cameras like on YouTube, and mm. they bring the the iPhone and the Google Pixel together, and they start doing it, and and not maybe realizing that there's no standard to base it on because everybody is doing it's a you're you're looking at different people's different engineers' opinions of how a picture should look. Yeah. Um, but I, I did want to make sure that I don't know if this fits into this subject that we're talking about, but about machine learning messing with pixels, if this fits in about the like the Topaz uh, Gigapixel AI that we have, do you know that? what that is i know you don't know what this is no i and topaz is a company i used to buy a lot of their stuff but i haven't i haven't used topaz in years since i switched okay so so topaz came out with three apps and i i bought them they're fantastic one is about getting rid of noise one is about sharpening images and the third one is uh resampling up uh uh it's called it's called gigapixel so you have uh topaz Uh sharpen Topaz Denoise and Topaz Gigapixel AI. So Denoise I own, and it's nice. Denoise is fantastic. And and it's probably got, I think all these have machine uh, AI sort of. They all have ML because otherwise they couldn't be as amazing as they are, right? If they didn't have ML, they'd be behind the curve. Gigapixel AI is the one that's upsampling. So the idea is to take a 640 by 480 image and you want to blow it up to, you know, four times the size, it's going to add data to right. the image to create it. And there are these uh, pluses and minuses. There's a whole bunch of things about this. And perhaps we could do our own, sh- like a, a, an entire show about that application in regards to AI, but it's creating data that is not there in the picture that it's being fed. I'm not saying in the yeah. original picture, because the original picture could be a high resolution picture that maybe you download a 640 by 480 onto the screen, but then you upsample it using this um, AI and it's filling stuff in. And it's a very interesting program. I've, I've used it. I use it a lot for things like, like a practical thing is if I'm photographing a bird, this is, and I didn't use the right zoom. So the bird is very small in the frame. I can crop Crop into it and then enlarge it. And then, you know, the bird looks good, but it's filling in all that detail that, you know, 
is is you know if it was the original picture you would crop in and then you would see noise and picture might not be right. so sharp. So it's basically it's, learned lawns look like this. This looks like grass to me, so I'll fill it in with some nice sharp grass. And this looks like exactly. sky, and skies look like yep. this, so I'll fill it in with some nice sky. Which is a related feature to the other one I wanted to draw attention to, which is content-aware fill. Like, the amount of faffing about Adobe have saved me with content-aware fill. Instead mm, of having yes. to find the right place to clone from and be very careful to have a soft brush, and it's just hours of faffing about, and it never looks even half as good as it could because I'm just not expert enough. Now you just sort of draw a vague shape around it and you go, fill it in, please. And Adobe does a whole bunch of machine learning and goes, bink! And whatever right, it is, which, it's gone. Right, which is our minions working for us. I, I, I enjoy that. And uh, I imagine that, you know, and this could be for later in our uh, other, on, on street shots talking about this, but the uh, I imagine that the business of uh, retouching in certain countries where the price is cheap is now starting to go away. Because right. whereas we used to send, people used to send pictures out to, First of all, they used to send them to me to retouch, and then I got too expensive, and then they sent them to other countries where the cost of living is less, and those people started retouching. And now, guess what? You They're not needed anymore. You can do it yourself, right? And or you can enlarge the pictures yourself. You can do all this stuff to the images yourself, and you're taking out a whole chain of people because of this stuff. But um, well, It really it democratizes want... the process, right? Because if I have to send it away to someone else, then someone else's opinion comes into my picture of my granny or whatever it is I'm trying That's to true. do. Whereas now I'm in control, and if I say, oh, it's a bit overdone, or actually, no, I want it a bit more like this, I'm now in control. So there's a real democratization of processing stuff that used to take a, stupendously expensive software, and B, skill. Like, 10,000 right. hours of work, skill is now in the hands of anyone, right? Right, right. And, well, actually, it's in the hands of the computer, and we're just looking. <laughs> we're, but we're still we're driving. Just... We're still driving, right? So it's a bit like yes, an automatic still... car yeah. makes it much easier for people to drive who would have difficult... Like, if you think about what it used to involve driving, you used to have to hand crank the car, and you had, you know, you had to know how everything worked because you were pretty much guaranteed five miles down the road you know, the alternator had come off or something and you had to know what all these bits and bobs were and stick it on. I have no idea what's under the, <laughs> under the hood of my car. I get in, I have one foot for go and one foot for stop and a twiddly thing that makes me go left and right. <laughs> That's kind of it. Except now that we have Teslas that drive themselves and there goes the chauffeur business. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, I have a Tesla. It does not drive itself because there is no, I know enough about computer science to know that it's not getting to do that yet. Yeah, I was just in one. I was just in one last weekend with my brother-in-law, and, and and he let it auto drive to the restaurant that we were going to. So that was really interesting. <laughs> no thanks. Yeah, <laughs> no thanks. But I did want to say that Gigapixel AI is you know part of it. Uh, I I've been using it for some practical things. Like I've got some old digital pictures of my uh, late wife when we went to Italy in '97. Uh, I had like an old digital camera, like a I think it was like an Agfa. And it only produced 640 by 480 pictures. And so, you know, those are very small. And right. because I'm creating sort of a, uh, you know, album of old pictures of hers for her memorial and just for me to have, I like to upsample them. So I'm using Gigapixel to do that. And it's it's mostly doing good. It sometimes adds details like that doesn't quite look like her. I was like, Rrr. but for the most part, does a good job of of bringing some of those pictures back to life, even like pictures of me and her together. Like I, you know, doing yeah. selfies, the first selfies on, on a, on a twisty screen Agfa camera. And I'm looking at them and I'm like, you know, and it's smoothing out the skin, not fake, but it's getting rid of the noise from the enlargement and it's doing all these things to bring life into the picture. But I also use it for um, photographic archeology. span I don't know if I can call it that, but again, pe yeah, people put up pictures that I like to collect the old pictures of New York and they're sometimes low res and I will upsample those in gigapixel so I can start seeing more of the detail. And of course it's detail that's created by the AI, <laughs> but for the most part, it's like, you know, it's filling, it's giving me a better idea of, I don't know to describe it. But even if it's filling in details, it's, it still looks, you know, uh, I can relate to the picture better rather than having to fight through the layers of it being an old slightly out of focus picture that's low res, I can now see it and say, oh, that's that building over there. That's that delicatessen that still exists. You know, like it, it, it gives me that ability. If you think about how our brains and our memories work, 
Well, you recall a memory. Your brain is filling, is inventing most of the detail. You, all you've actually stored in your memory is the big picture structure, and your brain fills in the detail when you do the recall. So, in many ways, this kind of upscaling is kind of doing what we do. That's true. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to move us on. So just to sort of be clear, so we're pretty good on the pros here, this machine learning stuff, right? I mean, it's really democratizing yep. force and stuff, and it's freeing us from, again, more drudgery. But we've kind of hinted at one of the downsides I made I made a note of to make sure to mention is that we end up with sameness creeping in because you have an iPhone-like picture and a Samsung-like picture. And you've hit on the other the other pain point that I really wanted to draw attention to, which is when you disagree with the machine learning, it's darn tricky to reassert yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Frustrating even. Yes, it's dar- for those of us who want to, I mean, you, you bring up the sameness and I think uh, this idea that people will just sort of get used to the pictures that their cameras produce and like that's it and not want to go any further. Where, uh, and, and so there's... Um, and for those of us who do want to manipulate, it becomes a little bit harder because we have to fight the fight is not the right word, but we have to struggle no, against the, the 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 ideas that someone else had on the way our pictures are supposed to look. And yeah. um, and this is a slippery slope, I think, uh, perhaps not so not so, uh, you know, it's a shallow slope at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it going? It, it, we're sliding towards something where. The ideas of what is uh, a good photograph is maybe, I don't know, get taken out of our hands or something like that. But sort of like there's something in that in that direction that that worries me a little bit. Um, you know, that, oh, you know, skin tones are supposed to look like this and, uh, you know, faces, smiles are supposed to look like this. And, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I'm just sort of off the top of my yeah. head kind of thing. But that 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 concerns me because. I don't know where that can go. Yeah. Well, I'm going to jump us into the last of our three categories here. And this is going to be more, pretty much a preview, I think, of the stuff we're going to dig into in much more detail over in the part two, or is it part three, depending on how you count. Um, but so with generative AI, I've sort of, I, I wanted to make a couple of points, I think, in, in sort of the practicalities. So again, the democratization really kicks off because you can... You can have a very creative idea that you wouldn't have the skills, the money, or it may not even be possible to take the photograph, to take the actual photograph. But you can describe it. You can make it into a prompt. You can say, I want to see a herd of giraffes underneath a sky with a large galaxy, you know, with spiral arms. And you you can keep layering on these descriptions. And a lot of this generative AI will actually have a sort of a conversation with you where you don't have to just accept what it does. You can say, darken it a bit, make this a bit. And some of these generative AIs take a photograph as an input. And so you can start with a real world image and say, now make this look more futuristic or make this look you know, darker or scarier. Basically, you end up tweaking and tuning. And so you can end up with cycles where it's, you hand you ask the computer for something and then you do some really strong human input and then you give it back to the computer for another go and you cycle around and it becomes this kind of a partnership and you end up with these very creative images that I'm not entirely sure the human could have got to on its own. And I know for a fact the AI could not have got to it because it makes you very cranky when people say, oh, there's no <laughs> art in using this stuff. It's just the computer just spat it out. It's like if if you take the human out of the equation, do you know what generative AI produces? Nothing. Zero. Zero. Nothing comes out. <laughs> Nothing comes out without us. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was just having breakfast with my my friend and neighbor, and uh, I was testing out a new lens on the. I said, "Can I take a picture of you?" Hmm. Um, just so I could test out this lens on my my medium format camera and. Uh, I, took, I took two shots of him and then I, I brought them into Lightroom. I said, I'll send them to you when I get it home. And I brought them into Lightroom and I just, you know, did the processing I wanted them. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to, I said, I told them through text, I'm going to say, I'm going to run it through um, Mid Journey AI because I have a Mid Journey AI account. And let's see what happens to the pictures. And so I started, I, I dropped the picture in there, which you can do with Mid Journey. I'm sure you can do with other uh, AI programs. And I, my prompt on it was, I gave him the picture and I said, middle-aged hipster on the street, which my friend looks like a middle-aged hipster. 
he was wearing a beanie and he was cold, but, and it generated four images at a time that were derivative of his picture, but looked different, but the same. And, and, and I cycled that a few times and I did, you know, young hipster on the street and I did hipster as, or, uh, you know, a Viking on the street. (laughs) (laughs) And and I said, a Viking, an anime Viking, uh, hipster on the street. And I sent them to him. I'm actually generating them and then texting him at the same time as I'm generating them. And I was, I was actually having a lot of fun. I said, this is, this is a time suck. I was getting ready for the show and I realized I I can't do this for another hour, but (laughs) I I kept generating these pictures and I was really, and it was doing a good job. The picture I had was this portrait of him, you know, from chest up. Really soft background. It's freezing out here, and, and so he was wearing a hat and bundled up. And it's a nice picture, and it and it was doing all these things like the anime. It was adding blue hair to him. He doesn't have hair, but is adding yeah. blue hair under his beanie. Uh, and what was really funny, the anime images were actually looking more like him, like his personality and his face. The anime were looking better like him than the photographs were. So, like a caricaturist photo- can sort of pull out your essence. Yeah. And, and I get my thinking about this, you know, in terms of AI and like using it to even like generate, I I've been, I used uh, mid journey. I said, generate an image in the style of Antonio M. Rosario in a street photography, uh, in New York city in black and white and had it generate. I actually did it for ward as well. Um, I had him generate, had mid journey generate street photos in Calgary and it was surprisingly not accurate, but it was like in the ballpark of like, oh, I could see that being myself. For some reason, with pictures of me, it, it chose to show a lot of older men with backpacks. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't understand that, but but it was interesting to to basically try to generate images based on my own work, right? Rather than right. having it, well, I don't know where it's getting the information from to create the image, but it got me thinking like if that was on my computer and it was going through my you know million or so pictures. And uh, and and being able to generate stuff based on my own work, that would be really interesting. But it was a lot of fun to to sit there and, and have it, you know, do this uh, r- r- sort of re-portrait of my friend using my own photograph as an input uh, to it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you've hit an interesting thing there because that's one of the products that's being sold. A lot of it to do with the text-based stuff as well, but it's also happening with the photography where – you as a company can buy the AI brain and you feed it your work so that it ends up with your corporate style. And then you use that to generate illustrations for your articles based on your previous work. And so you end up with a very distinctively me generated image, which is a whole different level to what we're getting at the moment with MidJourney, which is kind of like it's averaged out all of humanity. So that's, you know, there's a lot of doors there potentially to open in the future. Uh, the other thing that I have in my notes here is that it, it's, a again, with the word democratize, I keep coming to, but if you're writing a blog or something, a picture really helps to stand out. Like a, a good illustration makes a difference. It shouldn't, but we're very visual beings as humans. It does. And so if I'm writing for a big publication and they have a massive library of art available that they the writer can just grab something and maybe with the help of classifiers even grab something good right that's a real disadvantage to someone like me who doesn't have that at my disposal but with generative ai i don't have to make something brilliant i just have to make something that when someone's scrolling through their feed the picture is enough to make them go oh and go read and so that that definitely has opened up possibilities for creative people in other fields to get imagery into their work to catch people's eye. And it will never be as good as what a human would do. Like if you were to, it's not going to be a New Yorker. Well, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say never. <laughs> I would, because I, I think the spark of creativity, AI can only ever give you what it's learned from the past. The spark of creativity. Why do we paint different now than we did a decade ago than we did two decades ago? That spark is going to come from us. And then the AI is always going to be behind us. It's always going to be catching up to us. It is. I think to, to debate you a little bit here that the end result is going to be the image that you see in front of you and nobody's going to know where it came from. And if, if nobody, mm. it's sort of the Turing test of, of imagery. You know, if you look at it and you can't tell that it was made by someone's hand or an AI, then it's sort of past the test. And yeah, you may know the provenance of the, of the image. Oh, it came from mid journey or stable diffusion or something like that. But if you don't know that, you look at it and you're like, wow. And I've seen some 
impressive imagery. I'm on Mid Journey. I've joined it, which is brings an interesting conflict, and perhaps of interest in some way, but more of a curiosity. And I've seen some imagery from it that was just sort of even I've even made some imagery that was like oh wow this is really interesting and if you did not know that it came from mid-journey you may not know that it wasn't made by a human being and now sometimes you can tell i mean there's ways of telling them but i i think again this progression you know this technology it's going to get better as time goes on right. and i i you know that brings up a whole ethical thing which we could talk about on, yeah well, on we're shots. very much setting up now because i i want to wrap us up here but i do want to lay i do want to throw some things out a teaser if you wish uh but uh, teaser is maybe not the right word but you know so some cons that are on my mind that i know we're going to talk about in more detail because these are the things on your mind too right an obvious con of generative ai is it could put photographers out of work it, you used to be able to make a living as a stock photographer that was a that was a job it arguably Hello, isn't the job now. Right? I was going to say you used to do that. Yeah, like, but I, and it and hasn't I been viable I, for a while, right? Well, yeah, and it, it that yeah, and people want to do a comparison about that, but we can talk about that later. But yes, it's going to it's going to it's going to shake up that industry totally. Not to uh, mention, uh, it's already shook. It's going to yeah. give it another good shake. Yeah, the, the fear I have. I mean, I don't know if this is realistic or not. This could just be, but it's a fear. And I think it's reasonable to, to say your fears, whether they come true or not, doesn't matter, right? It's, this is what I worry about. On the one hand, it can be a tool to stimulate creativity. But on the other hand, it could actually end up crowding out creativity because a lot of people will be, a lot of corporations in particular will be tempted just, it's cheaper just to not get creativity. Do I really care if this is good or great? Good is good enough. And you end up not hiring people to be more creative who could do it better. But maybe then it becomes a differentiator. And I don't know, right? But it's a fear, right? It could it crowd out creativity, ironically? And the one point I think is a giant big auga auga, which is why I personally am not using any generated imagery on anything I publish. The legal footing for this stuff, <laughs> is in limbo, right? I cannot, no one, no no lawyer on planet Earth can give you good legal advice on the use of these images because the courts haven't figured out how on earth this fits into our laws, which were written when no one had any notion this was going to happen. So we do not know whether or not using an image to train an AI counts as copyright infringement. And does that well, mean that... Everything we don't know, no, right? And so every image that comes out of stable diffusion, we don't know what trained stable diffusion. So what's the provenance of the output? How is it like if someone if it was trained on an image owned by someone and your image has used five pixels from that image, is your image now like have you suddenly ended up encumbered with the copyright of five hundred thousand authors? What? Well, we already have uh, the beginnings of something, and uh, I won't go too much into it because you can find the article on Petapixel, but the Copyright Office, the United States Copyright Office, is now beginning to say – now, this is copyright. This is not mm. law necessarily. The copyright is saying that AI uh, artwork is not protectable. Um, the, the gist of it is – and this is going to open up a can of worms – uh, yeah. The quote is, the office confirmed that copyright protection does not extend to non-human authors. So this oh, is... that doesn't work either. That doesn't work. Because... I know. This is, this, is, this is someone, this is a, you know, copyright speaking ahead of any kind of laws or anything like that. But you, you're not wrong in the sense of, like, we don't know where it's going yet. Uh, it, and, uh, you know, Getty is, Getty is suing uh, Stable Diffusion for some... On insane amount of money, one point eight trillion dollars. <laughs> well, didn't a Getty watermark show up on a whole bunch of people's generated images? Isn't oh that yeah, they... yeah. You know, you'll see that every now and then. You generate an image like there's the 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 pictures I'm looking at are uh, images of soccer, which actually look like people have just gotten you know transported uh, poorly by Star Trek's uh, transporter, <laughs> deformed. But you can see across the board that there's a Getty watermark on it, and so it's obviously that the pictures were trained on on Getty images, which does bring up, you know this this whole other uh open up a can of worms uh, and things but we're just getting started in in the uh yeah, I, i'm going to end us on one final point here and then we're going to switch to your show but right the copyright office say non-human author okay 
<laughs> right? Remember what I said. If you put nothing into these things, nothing comes out. They're right. all authored by humans. Every single thing generated by generative AI is authored by humans because if you subtract the human, zero output. So they are authored by humans. So that 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 litmus test is nonsense. So that yeah, would- it's a need. It's it's obviously a knee jerk reaction. And and uh, but it's it's it's. <laughs> If anything, it's going to be very, very interesting to watch this uh, play out. And we'll be watching it play out in real time. Indeed. And that is the perfect teaser to to end this show (laughs) on. That is just perfect. Antonio, thank you very much for volunteering to be on the show. This was such a fun conversation. And I am really looking forward to finishing it over on the other side. So this is part one of what's going to be a second part of our conversation. So do you want to tell people where to go? for part two part two is going to be on the street shots podcast so you can find us uh, well on any on any uh you know podcast catcher or itunes just look for street shots photography podcast and it will be episode 178 i think we're gonna be doing so yeah it'll be uh and probably be coming out at, at the same time as this show i'm i'm putting it out uh in the next day or two too so you won't have to wait Excellent. Well, you can find this show at letstalk.ie. There's links there to support the show. A big thank you to everyone who has. This is a 100% listener-supported show. Without you guys, it wouldn't exist. It does exist, and I'm eternally grateful to everyone who has ever supported it in any way, be that financial, word of mouth, it all helps. It is all appreciated. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm not going to drag this on because I'm very keen to, well, I'm keen to refill my coffee cup and to continue this conversation with Antonio. So until next time, folks, happy snapping. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Five, four, three, two, one. And we are go. Go? Wait. Go where? The commercial, Guy. We're recording a commercial for the MyMac.com podcast. Ah, so we're recording the podcast now. Well, no, not now. At the moment, we're recording this commercial. So when do we go? Go where? I don't know. You started this whole go thing. The G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. We have no idea what we'll say next.